Well, good morning. I am Pastor Bernie Haddad, and I am so excited to be here. I love that you guys are doing the Operation Shoebox. My best friend years ago adopted a couple kids from Russia, and you know they remember receiving those in the orphanage, and they talk all about receiving the box and the toothbrush, and it was the first time they'd ever had a toothbrush of their own, and they're adults now, but ever since I heard that story, I have always been touched by the shoeboxes and glad that churches continue that tradition. And I love your church. You guys have such a beautiful facility here, gorgeous. Our church is much older, and um, we are running out of space rapidly, like no room for people to throw away coffee cups pretty much on Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's bad, but you guys have a great church. Well, like Matthew said, I am Pastor Bernie Haddad, and um, I'm married, and I have five kids, mostly grown, four completely out of the house, and a 17-year-old daughter who's got one foot out the door. Love my kids, but amen. Um, <laughs> I, I'm excited about the whole empty nest thing. People are like, aren't you sad? I was sad on the first one. Kind of sat on the second one. By number five, I'm like, bye. <laughs> I know you'll do well. <laughs> At Trinity Church, I am the Connections Pastor. My job is to show biblical, radical hospitality to everyone who walks through the door. And that's kind of who I am. I am happiest when people come into church and later on they say, I felt at home right away. Because that is so important. Because we're not just a church, but we're the body of Christ. We're God's family. And so when people come in, it's so good for them to understand and feel that they're part of that. Um, I grew up on the far east side of Indianapolis and um, went to Warren Central, which we were much larger than Greenfield, so we didn't play you guys much. But I did know quite a few kids out here, and we went to the Mount Comfort Air Show every year. And back then, I was not so excited, but looking back now, I'm really glad I got to spend that time with my dad. Um, back then, it was like, look at the plane. And I was like, yeah, it looks like the other 75 I just saw. But it really made my dad happy, and what good memories. Now we can look back, my sister and I, and we can say, yeah, that was nice. Can you believe Thanksgiving is this week, this Thursday? It's like, where has the year gone? Um, it's, it's shocking to me. For most of us, the holiday season conjures up memories of family and friends. And um, we remember love, fun times together, family gatherings, the awesome food, grandma's macaroni and cheese. And we remember the people that come over. We get to see grandparents and in-laws and cousins we haven't seen except for last Thanksgiving. Sometimes I kind of feel like Clark Griswold. Have you guys seen Family Christmas Vacation? I kind of feel like that person, Clark Griswold, because I plan the perfect holiday every year. I plan it, and um, I have the best plan to create this environment of love and welcoming, and it's like a Norman Rockwell painting in my head, you know? And I've got this huge plan, and, and it's a wonderful thing. I think most of us want that. We see the Norman Rockwell painting. We, we have this image of our childhood where everything was good. You know, we think about those perfect Thanksgivings. We don't know what happened in the kitchen. 
we don't know why grandma was angry that one time, but we remember the mac and cheese, the, the turkey, the togetherness. The only problem is my plan is very seldom, and I do mean very seldom, anyone else's plan. So this is the Thanksgiving I have in my mind. And this is the Thanksgiving I usually get. <laughs> Truthfully, no one wants to follow my plan. The problem with raising independent, intelligent children is they grow up to be independent. And then they think on their own. And they want their own plan. And sometimes people come to Thanksgiving or to your house for any gathering, and instead of just bringing the side of chips that you ask them to bring, they also bring an attitude. And that's always, that's always fun. They're holding a grudge. You open the door. You can see the chip on their shoulder. And every, every family has that one person. My family has a couple. But that one person who's always mad, they're mad about something that happened last week, a year ago, 10 years ago. My grandpa, for the life of me, and I didn't even understand it until I was much older. We weren't allowed to watch anything on the television with Jane Fonda. My grandpa was in World War II. And I just grew up knowing, I, I just thought she was, I don't know, a terrorist or something. And it all, of course, stems back to the Vietnam War. But you grow up in these things that people put out there on holidays or whenever, they stick with you. And uh, that's what, happened when, what happens when people get together. Sometimes it all just comes out, especially with politics. Today we're going to talk about how family gatherings can quickly turn into bitterness and resentment that builds up over the years and the freedom of letting that go and how we get past that. How many of, ever, how many of you have ever been hurt by someone and did nothing to deserve that person's behavior? I know I personally have. Have you been in a situation where you'd like to tell them exactly how you feel? Just anybody. You drive in a car, tell them exactly how you feel about something. Again, me. You visualize in your mind ways to get even with people. And maybe everybody doesn't do that, but if I'm going to be real honest, I've had some vengeful thoughts in my life. And parents, it's one thing for someone to hurt us. It's another thing for someone to hurt our kids. There's nothing like the grudge of a mama bear, except maybe grandma. Grandmas don't get over anything <laughs> when it comes to their grandkids. And so people hurt us. But think about the fact, and, and this is kind of countercultural. So you kind of have to switch gears, being an individualistic society where it's me, 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 me. We have to think about the fact that we are sinners. So there are people out there who feel that exact same way about us. We have unintentionally hurt people. We have unintentionally hurt feelings, caused pain. And we're sorry, but maybe we don't know. And we don't know because people didn't tell us. And so this person over here is building up resentment and hatred and anger. And one day it comes out at Thanksgiving. But it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know if people don't share it with you. For me personally, I grew up being very jealous of the relationship with my mom and my sister. I always felt like the odd one out. They had this incredible bond. I was the firstborn, but they had this incredible bond. And 
it felt like there was no room for me there. I didn't have that bond. I didn't have that in common. They had lots of things in common. They were like the early Acts church where everybody had everything in common all the time. And that wasn't me. So I often felt kind of left out. And that stayed with me for a really long time. It took years of family gatherings of me sitting there stewing feeling hurt and just going home and crying, being angry. In life, none of us will ever get everything we want or think we deserve. We've been set up to be hurt because we think people are supposed to be nice to us. We have unrealistic expectations of other people and of ourselves frequently. The future of our lives is often shaped by the hurt we experience in our past. The truth is, people are, who are hurt tend to hurt people. And that's hard to kind of put your mind around. But listen again. People who are hurt and who carry around bitterness and anger and resentment, unintentionally, they tend to be the ones that hurt other people because they don't have that joy, because they're carrying this around with them, and it's a burden. We can control how we react. We can't control how people treat us, but I can control how I treat them. There are really only two options when it comes to someone who has hurt you. You can hold a grudge, or you can choose to forgive. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm pretty good at holding a grudge. Um, I'm not just good at holding a grudge, I'm also pretty good at passive-aggressive conversation with people that I'm angry with. And back in the day when I wasn't a Christian, I was really, really good at aggressive-aggressive conversation. <laughs> my husband read my sermon last night, and he goes, uh, you know, you still do that. So I'm like, oh, wow. No, I don't. I, I have the Lord in my heart. <laughs> I know there's people out there who can just let things go. They forgive, they forget, and God bless them. I've never been one of those people, and I try, but I'm thankful for a Savior, for sure, who forgives me every single time. It's much easier to carry around anger and bitterness. It's kind of like protection. People are mad because someone hurt them. So in order for that not to happen again, because it does not feel good when you get hurt. So in order for that not to happen again, you build up walls around yourself so that people can't get in and they can't hurt you. And as you build them up, you don't realize that you isolate yourself. So you're in there and you think it's okay because no one's going to hurt you because I'm in my box and they can't get to me here. And I'm always like this with everybody. But the problem is, eventually, it gets, it gets very lonely. Imagine my surprise, because I, like I said, I, I became a Christian when I was 34. So I went over half my life at this point not knowing the Lord. I was raised in a house that wasn't Christian, but it was mostly moral. You know, there were a few things, but it was mostly moral. So it wasn't until 34 years old that I found Jesus and I realized what true forgiveness was. And so as that happened, 
imagine my surprise when I read the Bible and I found out that Christians forgive people. It was a little shocking to me. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Okay, seven times. I was a little shocked by that. I was like, seven times? That's a lot. You know, somebody comes up and they do something. I'm like, okay, yeah, I forgive you. They come up again. I'm like, <laughs> I forgive you. By the third time, I'm like, all right, <laughs> what's the issue? Then I continued reading. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Okay, that's a big number. I'm a little slow sometimes. I remember sitting there. I was about 34, 35 years old. I remember sitting there, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, that's a lot of math. You know, you have to, like, make some sort of a chart. Mom did this, 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 and I forgived her. Eventually, I get to be mad. And then I was like, Jesus wasn't giving a rule. He was giving a life standard. He was giving us um, a principle to live by for our lives. We're not supposed to set limits on how many times we forgive people. We're supposed to forgive, like Jesus forgave us. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. How many times has Jesus forgiven you? At what number did he say, that's it, I'm done? Jesus says that if a person repents, we are to forgive them. Now let's be clear about forgiveness, because some people think that forgiveness also means that you have to stand right there and be a punching bag, sometimes literally. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a condition of the heart. When you forgive, it's your heart that's growing. It's your heart that's changing. It's your heart that knows Christ. Your brain can say, this is a tough situation for me and I'm not safe here. Whether it's a spouse or a job or whomever, you can walk away and that's okay. It's just don't carry the burden of their sin with you. You can forgive. In the Old Testament, Moses gave the law. The law kept track of people's sins. They kept track of how often we forgave. Jesus did away with that. In Corinthians, love doesn't keep track of wrongs. Jesus keeps track of love and grace. So we're no longer bound by that law where if we sin, we don't forgive, we don't do what we want, we're out. It's all about love and grace now. And it's also important to know that there could be earthly consequences for the sin. So just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that abolishes them of anything because sin has consequences. All sin. God, God doesn't like sin. And, it, and the consequence is there. Now, the consequence could be really small, or the consequence could be prison. It just depends on the crime, you know, the sin. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ, <coughs> in Christ, Jesus our Lord. So I'm much better at the forgiveness thing than I used to be. But there's a few things that I've been through in my life that have hurt me deeply. They've hurt me. They've hurt my kids. People who have hurt me and a person who's hurt one of my kids. 
And that's really hard to forgive. When you see the consequence of the hurt on one of your children and what they battle, that's hard. And every day, I have to get up. And when I do my prayers, I have to forgive him again for hurting my child. I have to forgive him every day, intentionally forgive him again. I don't want to. I don't think he deserves it. But I do it because it frees me. I don't have to carry around that burden of pain and bitterness. Now, by the end of the day, am I feeling it again sometimes? Sometimes. It depends on what kind of day my child had. Did they have a rough day because of the result of what happened to them when they were little? Maybe. And so I forgive again. But every day I forgive. And it's difficult. My God is strong and he is faithful. And he wants to carry our, bur our burdens. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is what I need. We all need that. We need a light burden. The longer you hold a grudge, the longer that grudge holds you. If you have an unforgiving heart and there's people that are built up in there that you've not forgiven, you've got chains that you don't even know about holding you down. You can't really move forward in life because the grudge keeps pulling you back to where you're at. The deeper you hold on to it, the deeper it clings to you. The emotional weight of anger, resentment, bitterness is too much. You become angry, an angry person, and you don't even realize you're angry until one day you're like, where did everybody go? Forgiveness is the better way, but I know it's hard. Last night, God's funny. Last night I was at church, and you know, I've been praying all week for giving this message to you guys. Forgiveness, forgiveness, listening to the songs, forgiveness. I was at a church function last night, and somebody said something to me that was really rude and out of line. And I was like, mm. And I went home telling my husband, and he's like, but you forgive her. Well, I get, yeah. He's like, aren't you preaching on that tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. So you forgive her. Yes, I forgive her. You going to pray about that? I'm praying. It's hard. It's hard, guys. We live in a broken world. And people are people. That's the hardest part about being in a church. You're sitting in here with sinners. You know? You're, people, people are hard. Christ forgave us, but I think there's more to the reason we forgive. It's not just because Christ forgave us, although that's a really good reason. When we forgive people, we show them grace. We show them love, and that's a good thing. But I think one of the best reasons to forgive is to allow yourself to be freed from the chains and the bitterness and anger. Carrying around past hurts is like trying to swim in the ocean with an anchor hanging around your neck. You're just not going anywhere. You're treading water, and sometimes you're going under, but you're not making any progress in life because those things are weighing you down.
and it is a lonely road. I had a falling out with my mom when I was in my 30s, before I became a Christian. I didn't see or talk to my mom for five years. My kids did not see or talk to my mom for five years, or my sister. I was angry because she's not the mom. She wasn't the mom that I wanted her to be. I was angry because my sister was not the sister that I wanted. And this, this had a great effect on me, my family, my mom. One day I decided, after I became a follower of Christ, that I was not going to continue being hurt. But I still never made that phone call to call mom. Then one day, I got a phone call, it was my mom, to tell me that my grandpa only had a few days left to live. He was down in Florida, that's where he lived. He was well in his 80s. They were um, all at his bedside, and mom said, are you coming down? And there came that, that resentment again. Well, why were they already there? Why didn't I get a phone call earlier? They're in Florida, all of them are together, and I was left out? So I decided that it would be awkward for me to go down there and spend time with a family that I've not spoken to for, for five years. So I said, I don't, I don't think I can make it. So I didn't go, and he died a couple days later. They brought his body up here to be buried next to Grandma, who had passed away 20 years previous. And I attended the funeral because I was a Christian, and that's what we do. And I was, I was really on that little pious high horse, i got to tell you. I attended the funeral, and that's when I heard the words that broke my heart forever. <laughs> Mom was talking to everybody about Grandpa's last moments. And she says, it's okay to go, Pop. We're all here. And Grandpa said, is Bernie here? And Mom said, no, she couldn't get down here. And my grandpa apparently shook his head, and then he died. I can't undo that. I can't, I can't undo that. That's there. Think about your families. Are there people who don't talk to one another? This is a sad and tragic thing. When I forgave my mom, it was very freeing. I no longer had to carry around that bitterness, but there is always a consequence to sin, to my sin. There's always a consequence. I have a daughter who's 26, and when she's angry at me, she doesn't speak to me. She is currently angry at me. So she's blocked my number from her phone, unfriended me on Facebook, is not coming to Thanksgiving, and it's been like this for a month. I taught her that. I taught her that behavior. And that's on me. Sin has consequences. Another area where we hold on to anger is in church. A lot of people have been hurt by the church. They walk away from God, the church, their faith. Why? There's a number of reasons that cause hurt. Not being accepted, being judged, betrayal, feeling lonely, legalism. Just to name a few, we could probably be here all day on that one. Church people, people who attend church, we get elevated as Christians to this level of, you don't do that because you're a Christian. And 
there is a certain part of that. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be the light, the hands and feet of Jesus. We're supposed to be that. So when we go into a room, people are supposed to notice we're different. Maybe we love more. Maybe we show more grace. But nowhere in the Bible does it say we're perfect. And non-believers frequently believe that people who are Christians, my mom likes to put it in quotes, should be better. So we're not. <laughs> we still mess up just as much as anybody. Like I said, the only problem with church is it's full of sinners. But we acknowledge that, and we work on it. And we know that we've got a, a, a Savior that um, is, is, has saved us, and we're free from that. How many of you have been, can acknowledge that you have been blessed by God, where you did nothing to deserve it? I know I have. You didn't create your lungs to breathe. That's God. You didn't determine the place where you were born. That's God. God did all of this on our behalf. This is God's ordained plan. Psalm 139. He has written all of the days in his book. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew us before we were born, before we were in the secret place. So God knows us. And he's done all this for us. And yet, at one time or another, we've all chosen not to forgive. We've put our hands in the face of God and said, I am not forgiving that person who hurt me. We shake our fist at the face of an all-powerful God. But God, what does he do? He forgives us again. He loves us and does not want us to be separated from him. He loves us so much that he sent us the ultimate example of forgiveness, to be with us forever. Jesus was nailed to a cross to pay for our sins. And when we think about it, we often think of Jesus being very high up on the cross. But the truth is, he was probably only a couple feet off the ground. Imagine, if you will, Jesus hanging on the cross. His eyes are swollen from the beating, like the song we, we sang, talking about the blood. The blood is mixed with the dirt on his chest from the whipping. Blood dripping from the thorns that have been pressed down on his head. Now imagine you walk over to him, and you look in your, your, his eyes, and he looks at you. Now think about the worst thing you've ever done. Maybe you've stolen. Maybe you've cheated on a spouse. Maybe you're a little harsh sometimes with your kids. His mouth starts to open, and he gasps your name and says, You are forgiven. You say, But Lord, I don't deserve it. You don't even know the horrible things I did. He calls your name again, and he says, I know you. You are a child of God and you are forgiven. That's very cool. I want you to know that nothing you can do can trump the forgiveness of Jesus. Nothing. Let's get countercultural again. Nothing you can do can, can take away what Jesus has done for you. He always forgives you. Think about that person in your life who is a thorn in your side, the one that causes you pain and sorrow the one that you cry yourself to sleep at night thinking about. Nothing they do will ever separate them from God. If they follow Jesus, he forgives them too. Regardless of what they did to you, he forgives them. Jesus forgives the person who hurt my daughter. Every day he forgives. 
So if Jesus can forgive, why can't we? Well, we're not as good as he is, obviously. When we stand in forgiveness of Jesus long enough, we recognize that not only does the grace and forgiveness flow into us, but it will flow out of us and into other people. We give it to them. There's plenty to go around. Forgiven people forgive others. Hurt people hurt others. The smart choice is to be a forgiving person. Forgiveness allows us to move forward with God and it allows us to move forward with others. Grace comes to you, it flows out of you. It's a very easy math equation. In the Old Testament, God called Jeremiah into ministry, knowing that he was going to be treated unfairly. He knew people would lie about him, slander his name, beat him, throw him in jail, try to kill him. But God's promise to Jeremiah was that God would be with him. God knows people will treat us unfairly. We live in a broken world. Paul speaks to this in Romans 12:17 and says, Do not repay evil for evil. Notice that the Bible does not try to hamper down what has been done to us. Whatever injustice that has happened to us, even if it was something small, it's called evil. It's called evil because it's something sinister, straight from the evil one. It's Satan who's attempting to trip us up, to destroy our lives, to get us on his team. Nothing makes them happier than when we're arguing with our family. We're not talking to people at church. We're not in fellowship like we ought to be. We're holding grudges. We're holding bitterness. That's his favorite. But we have a choice. We can pay back evil for evil, or we can choose to forgive. Paul continues in Romans to say, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. As the heart of forgiveness is our ability to believe God will do what God says he will do, when we hold a grudge, we're kind of saying we can do God's job. So I'm a pretty decent pastor. I'm learning. I'm a lousy God. And let me tell you, I have tried. I have tried to be the Holy Spirit for a number of people, and it just doesn't work. For those of you who think you can do the God thing, we have to think about how are we going to change their bitterness and anger, the people that we're mad at, that we want to repay evil for evil, that we want to take care of. What would God do? He would love them. What will we do? How are we going to change their hearts? It's kind of like in the book of Job. Where were you when I brought the ocean up and told it to stop? We elevate ourselves to a level where we think we know best, and it's not because we're bad. It's because we're people. But God has a plan for all of us, including the people who hurt us. And if we're going to be real honest this morning, even though sometimes revenge sounds like a good thing, the plan for the people that hurt us, what do we really want? We want them to become believers. We want them to give their life to Christ. We want to see them in eternity. That's what we want. That would be a win. 
for those of us who are believers in Christ, we have even given a, we have been given a higher reason to choose to forgive. We are also on mission to spread the good news of Jesus. We do not have time to insist on making sure everyone is nice and respects our rights. Jesus was not respected, and he told us that whatever they do to me, they will also do to you. We need to quit worrying about what is and is not fair. It's probably not fair. We just should start right there. It's probably not fair. No one said it was going to be fair. Life isn't fair. People are broken. And as hard as we try, we can't be fair all the time. If we are constantly looking for justice for ourselves, then we have taken our eyes off of him. And that's where our eyes belong. Stop looking for justice in a broken world, but never stop giving it. Stop looking for it everywhere. Stop looking for fairness, but never stop giving it. And never stop sharing why you do it. If we expect fairness, respect, and justice in all aspects of our lives, we will be sorely disappointed. But God has a plan for your pain and for mine. Do not take it outside of his will for your life. Put your trust in God, and he will make your situation right. In God's own timing and in his own way. You know, forever, I've always heard, God's timing is perfect. I, I know I agree with that, but boy, sometimes his timing doesn't seem right, does it? It seems like, what you doing? <laughs> Things have been created. I just need this one thing. But his timing is always perfect. And in the process of waiting, what we don't know is he's working. So when we're way over here, after we've been waiting for that thing to happen, we can look back and we can say, ah, there was God. He was there and he was there and now I'm here because of him. And that is the path that he gives us. Put your trust in God and he will make your situation straight. Jesus died to forgive us so that we can forgive others. Jesus, Jesus died to teach us that God is the one who will repay. Jesus died to empower us with the spirit to be able to overcome evil with good. Ah, the spirit. We always forget about him, don't we? But he's there inside each one of us. All we have to do is use him. Ask him. Holy Spirit, be with me. Show me the way. Have you guys ever been listening to the radio, like a Christian radio station, and they play a song and you're like, was that for me? Or you're reading the Bible and you come across a verse and you're like, okay, somebody just added that verse in. That was not there before. I've never seen this verse. And it totally applies to your life. Holy Spirit, that's his job. Holding a grudge robs us of our joy. The hatred and anger that you are experiencing inside of you will steal the joy right out of your life. And if you have no joy, you can give no joy. You can't give what you don't have. When you hold a grudge, you have to put your energy into keeping it. You have to keep on returning to the memory that makes you mad so that you can feed it. Although your feelings may be perfectly justified, and I'm not sitting here or standing here telling you that your feelings are not justified when you're angry about a situation. Jesus got angry. His anger was righteous, and that's what we need to check. And then Jesus forgives, and that's our next step. But we can't let that rob our life of joy. When we come to Christ to surrender and follow him, 
we can be certain that sin's power is broken. We are no longer under sin's control. Jesus breaks the chains. Our hearts become strangely warmed, to quote John Wesley. We've been forgiven, forgiven for the sins of our youth, the sins that we committed last week, and thank you, Jesus, the sins that we're going to commit tomorrow. Because regardless of how hard we try, for we all fail and fall short of God's glory. But we can repent when we do wrong, and we can forgive when wrongs are done against us. One of my favorite people in Christian history is Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if any of you know who she is. Oh, good, lots of heads nodding. She's, she was awesome. My favorite book, one of my absolute favorite books is The Hiding Place. And Corey Ten Boom, um, in case, for those of you who don't know, was a Christian lady living with her father and her sister Betsy during World War II in Amsterdam. They were all three believers. And when the Nazis invaded, Corey, well, the whole family actually, but Corey was the initial one. They hid Jews and they helped the Jews. She saved a lot of lives. Eventually, she got caught and they got arrested. The whole family got arrested. She and her sister and her brother, or her, her father, were sent to a couple different um, concentration camps. They ended up and ended their some of their lives ended in Auschwitz, which is the worst of the worst. When the war ended and all of the concentration camps were liberated, all the people who had been held prisoner, they were so broken. But you know who else was broken? The Nazi soldiers. You can't commit that much hate and not be broken from it. It just can't happen. And God gave Corey a vision and a mission to start a location where Nazis, Germans, because the war's over, Germans and Jews can come together and they can retreat and they can rejoice and they can renew. And that is the vision she was given by the Lord. So she shares this true story in her book, The Hiding Place. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pained, blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing to me. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you said, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. 
I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. That is amazing to me. If you read the book, you'll know everything she went through and everything she saw others go through, and what this particular guard did. <laughs> she didn't wait until she felt like forgiving him. I can't imagine how long that would have taken. She remembered what Jesus did for her. She realized that God wanted her to forgive. She prayed for the forgiveness to come onto her. So she released her offender, and then the feelings came. Jesus set her free from anger. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. She released this anger, this fear, this bitterness, these memories. She laid them down. She gave up her burden. I work in prison ministry. God has actually given me a, a vision to start a Wesleyan church inside the prison. And that's what I'm in the process of, of doing, of researching. And um, I currently work at Pendleton, the state prison, with the guys out there. I was ministering last weekend, actually, to a group of women. And these women are, um, their lives have been affected by incarceration, not necessarily themselves, but they have family who are incarcerated. And when your husband is due in time, you're doing time right along with him. And last weekend I was with this group of women and they weren't believers. And they said, Pastor Bernie, do you really believe that we were all created in the image of God? Did Jesus really die and come back to life? Do you really believe that Jesus breaks these chains that bind us to doing things wrong? And does he really forgive us for our mistakes every day? Because I make lots of mistakes, Pastor Bernie, every day. And my life is such that I have to kind of keep making them so that I can feed my kids. Does he still forgive me? Do I really believe it? My answer to them is the same answer I will give you. Not only do I believe it, but I'm counting on it. I am absolutely counting on it. Christmas is coming. The celebration of Advent begins very soon. And as you prepare your hearts for the birth of the child that changed the world, what do you need to lay down? Who do you need to forgive? What bitterness and anger is taking up room in your heart where Jesus wants to grow truth and love and give you joy? Give it to God and be free. 
When you sat down and at the ends of your aisles, there's little pieces of paper. People are like, why did this pastor come and litter all over our church? There's little pieces of paper. As you feel led, I want you to write on this piece of paper, I choose to forgive. And then bring it up and lay it at the altar. And this will be your response to God that I know I need to forgive. Maybe there's not someone in your life right now that is truly, truly biting at your heels and causing you pain. But there has been. And there will be again. And we have to choose. And right now is good a time as any. But we have to choose. Will we forgive them? Or will you guys not? And will you hold on to it? And will you let that bitterness just eat you alive? Jesus didn't die for us so that we could live like that. He died for us so that we could spread the word and make him famous. Our job is to love God, love people, and make Jesus famous on earth. Those are our jobs. Three jobs as Christians. Everything else we do applies to one of those three. You have to choose to forgive. The altar was traditionally used back in the tabernacle and in Old Testament times and some New Testament as a place where things go to die. When you choose to forgive, you're laying that down and you're allowing that anger to just die, to go away. I'm going to close in prayer. If you need something to write with, we have markers or we have pens and pencils up here if you don't have anything to write with. Father God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for this group of people, Lord. I pray that we all have in our hearts the ability, the willingness to forgive. I pray for the Spirit to permeate through this room, and I pray for people to dig deep before the holidays come when we have so much opportunity to be influential over people, people who don't know you family members who don't know you. Lord, let us lay it down. Let us be free indeed. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.